It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody, as we closer and closer to Christmas and a Christmas like no other. I'm determined to make sure it's great, and I hope you do, too. Rich Lowry at the bottom of the hour, deep thinker from the National Review, and Senator Tommy Tuberville, the football coach turned senator, uh, close confidant of President Trump. I know they have a lot of mutual respect. He's going to be with us in a matter of moments, and, of course, we'll cover all the breaking news as it happens. And nothing has slowed down leading up to the holidays, so we won't either. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I have formally asked the Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland, to, with all deliberate haste, detail ATF agents to Chicago for six months so that we can increase the number of gun investigations and seizures in Chicago. That is Mayor Lori Lightfoot. How amazing. What audacity. Now asking for federal agents when they were offered to her by President Trump, she had no problem. There were people dying then. And now with a Democrat in the White House, she feels differently. Woke criminal justice got us a broke criminal justice system, resulting in one common result. Safety and security is now foremost on everyone's mind as failed Chicago Mayor Lightfoot pleads for Biden when Trump would have given her exactly what she wanted. Number two. Build Back Better, dead or alive, what do you think? Build Back Better is dead, but Build Back Differently is going to be very alive after the first year. Build Back Differently, you heard James Carville, stop celebrating Republicans. A revived spending palooza plan could be in the works as Biden tries to revive reconciliation talks with Joe Manchin. Number one. If you're not fully vaccinated, you have good reason to be concerned. And the unvaccinated have a significantly higher risk of ending up in a hospital or even dying. As he continues to cough into his hand, Operation Omicron is underway. How do we stop a variant that spread quickly and kills and hospitalizes few and leaves the victim with mild symptoms? Mandate vaccines, demand boosters, and send tests to every home and create a villain, the unvaccinated. To me, unacceptable. With me right now, Senator Tommy Tummerville of Alabama. Senator, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Senator, good. I'm just curious, and I have no idea the answer. How would Senator Tommy Tuberville's press conference have been different if you were running it yesterday, if at all? Well, what a mess. Uh, you know, Brian, I came from a 40-year tenure of of trying to lead our young people across this country into doing sometimes things that they didn't want to do, like work hard and weights and run one, run wind sprints and bring people together of all nationalities, all races, to try to win football games. Yep. These people have no clue, Brian, about leadership. There's not an adult in the room. We got a vice president and a president up there that nobody trusts, that nobody believes in, even people on their own side. And so how in the world can this guy get up there yesterday and start preaching to the American people? Now, I'm on the Health Education Committee, and I've sat in hours of meetings and hearings with the CDC director, Walensky, and Dr. Fauci, and listen to them go back and forth on mandates, no mandates, masks, no masks. And the American people are sick of it. And so 
it just uh, it really makes me mad that you got a president who I don't know how he got elected. He gets up there and he preaches to the American people, and he won't get out and sell it. You get get out of the White House like you should, a leader should, and go to Texas, go to Wisconsin, go to Florida, and get up and answer questions from people in the audience and tell them what the hell is going on. And that, they have no clue. Leadership, that we have zero leadership in this country right now, and I hope we don't crash and burn before we get them out of there. Listen, uh, the other thing is you got to know your enemy. Your enemy gives you a runny nose and a cold. Your enemy went up 343% in cases, but 6% in deaths. So far, there's, that's uh, what Delta included over the last two weeks. That's a, huge, that's a huge difference. Why don't we quantify the danger? That's the big thing. Coach, I mean, if you're going to test everybody, I get it. There's going to be a lot more. It spreads easily. We understand that. Even non-medical professionals like me understand that. But then I want to know the risk. And please tell me if the risk is greater than a 99 fever and a runny nose. I'll walk through that. Thank you. Yeah, it's amazing. You you know, they don't know the significance of the problem. You got to know the problem first. And here's the problem. American people don't trust these clowns. And again, it is, uh, I'm just sitting around listening to people all across the country. People are calling me and asking me about the vaccine. Listen, I took the vaccine. Uh, President Trump took the vaccine. But when you got these people up there, if I'd have been president, I would have brought Joe Biden. I'd have brought President Trump in. I said, listen, we got problems with this vaccine. You invented it. You came up with it. We give you credit for it. And I told Fauci this in a meeting. You think that the American people, the over half the people in this country are going to trust you when you won't give President Trump any credit for the vaccine? And he really doesn't need credit. But people give credence to people that give credit to other people, and they wouldn't do it. And so now he's fighting the the American right, the people that actually believe in this country the way it is, and the the true Americans. They're not going to trust these uh, big government socialists. They're not going to do it. So we got a huge problem with the vaccine, but you're right. This is a variant. They act like they didn't know it was coming. We all knew it was coming. We're going to have another one coming. So uh, unprepared. Uh, they're trying to get everything pushed through in, the, in these two years. they got one year left. They know they're going to get run out of office, and they're trying to just do everything they can at one time, and it goes, goes back to one thing. Nobody trusts them because there's no leadership in this administration. So yesterday he did give President Trump credit, and I thought it was way overdue, but listen. <clears throat> Unfortunately, we still have tens of millions of people who are eligible for the booster shot and would have not yet gotten it. gotten the first two shots. And they're not gotten the booster. I got my booster shot as soon as they were available. And just the other day, former President Trump announced he had gotten his booster shot. It may be one of the few things he and I agree on. People with booster shots are highly protected. Join them. Join us. And he and he gave him his credit. He he went on to say <laughs> that he gave the goes, they were the one who came up with the vaccine and weren't the first to do so. And here's what Joe, what President Biden said back. Um, he said, uh, what he came back and basically said uh, that that Joe Biden, he's thanked him. He said the country needs to come together, needs some healing. I think that was uh, nice of him to do that, and he was quite surprised he did, giving him not only credit for taking the booster and telling everybody, but also for saying Donald Trump's administration came up with the booster. So that's, I mean, that's something that should have been a given. 
We, the Republicans, Brian, have been telling them that for a year. This is a problem for everybody. This is not a Democrat or Republican. This is a worldwide problem. Uh, they have not cut back on the deaths in this country. Joe Biden's had more people die than what President Trump had. And Joe Biden's had all the therapeutics in his hand. He's got more research on masks. He's got two, three vaccines. And we still don't have an answer to this. But you've got to sell something to the American people. And I'm telling you, maybe 50 percent of the people believe in Joe Biden. I can't believe that. But I know 50 percent don't. Uh, and they're sick of it. And they want some leadership from somebody to tell them how to get out of this mess, and they don't have an answer. Here's Paul Mango. As you know, he's a former HHS deputy chief of staff, and he headed up Operation Warp Speed. He's got a book coming out, so he joined me last night at 7 o'clock, and he's got that military background. Here's what he said about the leadership that that he watched. Cut 17. Good leaders dampen anxiety. They don't amplify it. And today and for the last several weeks, uh, Joe Biden and his administration have been amplifying it. Uh, What I was reminded of today when I watched him talk was the arsonist who calls the fire department. They've been whipping up a hysteria for the last couple of weeks, and now you have Joe Biden riding in and uh, on the fire truck saying, I'll put it out. But I was most struck by not what was in his address, but what the address lacked. He did not mention the word therapeutics once. He did not acknowledge that natural immunity actually provides immunity. And he completely lacked empathy for the unvaccinated. That's a, that's a guy that was in the eye of the storm when we couldn't figure out what this is. That's pretty much singing your song, right? Exactly. And this is a military leader. He's actually done something in his lifetime other than take money from the government and say they work in the government as a senator or a congressman. My God, where is leadership in this country? Brian, it all comes back to that. And, and you know, we're struggling in all kind of areas. You know, this build back better catastrophe that they're trying to push on the American people. You know what he should do? Joe Manchin is not the problem with with them passing it. You know who's the problem? It's people of West Virginia. 70% of the people there don't want it. Hey, Joe Biden, get in your car and drive to West Virginia and sell it to those people. And if they'll buy what you're selling, they might be able to tell Joe, Joe Manchin to vote for this. Do you think they want to pay for $40 billion worth of public housing in New York? You know, that's in this bill, $3 billion for trial lawyers, $2 billion for journalists. What in the world? They need to break this thing down in 16, 17 ways and let the American people know what's in this thing and let us vote on it one at a time in the Senate, and they'll find out how bad the people don't want this, even a lot of Democrats. Yeah, you could you could go through the committee process and be a little transparent about it, interview senators along the way and see how this thing is being put together. Instead, next thing you know, voila, it's just there. Somebody you can relate to that straddles everything you're talking about is Aaron Rodgers, a Green Bay Packers quarterback. He speaks every Wednesday on Pat McAfee's podcast, at which time he said, you know, I'm immunized, uh, but I, you know, not vaccinated. And people gave him hell, including the president last week in Kentucky, as he was consoling people who had their lives destroyed, which is bizarre. But now he's wearing a shirt that said uncancel cancel culture and said this about what he didn't hear. I think the one frustration that I have in all of this is that throughout this entire time, there hasn't been real conversation around health as far as giving people uh, things to think about when it comes to health, like how to be healthier. Right. As far as, you know, your diet and vitamins and exercise and, and those type of things. But the other thing that hasn't been talked about is treatments. So. I just don't believe, and obviously I talked to a lot of friends who had COVID, including Joe, 
and you know figured out a protocol that I had ready in case I in case I got COVID that basically took my symptoms from what they were to non-existence in 36 hours. I came on and did your show on that Friday, right? And I got tested positive on Wednesday. But I don't understand why society in the NFL hasn't talked about legitimate treatment options. And uh, he was talking about Joe Rogan. Your your thoughts, Coach? Bingo. Uh, therapeutics. They never talk about it. I don't know what they've got in with this vaccine, but it, it's not 100%. We all know that uh, it could help you to some point, but you better be able to treat it. That's the main thing. And so, and he gets into something too about obesity, uh, being in good shape, quit eating all fast foods, every meal, all those things. That's what's killing people more than this the, these uh, uh, viruses that we've got. So it's there's a lot of problems we've got, but Aaron Rodgers brought it right to the point. It's about leadership. He's used to dealing with leadership. He's used to dealing with team atmosphere and people doing things together. And uh, it's just disappointing to to all of us to know that seen structure in our life, that there's no structure in this. Nobody wants to handle all the problems. They just want to push something on you. This mandate is putting people out of work in, in Alabama, and it's going to put our country under. If they stick with this mandate, uh, Brian, we have got huge problems because we don't have enough people to work now. And you think uh, we've got inflation. It is really going to get tough if they keep pushing this mandate. I hear you because uh, right now he's saying, I want to keep you safe. He goes, I'm not trying to uh, come down on you. I'm trying to keep you safe. I don't need somebody to keep me safe. Bottom line is we, we've gotten the drill. We understand it. We're going to react accordingly. For example, 88% of people over 65 in America have been double-vaxxed already. 12 and up, 71%. 7 out of every 10 of the country this size is awesome. You should take what you got, continue to educate people, urge people like Donald Trump to say why he did it. That'll go fine. And then see where we go from here. And if you're unvaccinated, that's your life and your thing. I'll give you an example. I didn't know this, but 2,000 people a day die from cancer. 1,600 die from heart disease. Just over 1,000 as of late die from this. I don't want anyone to die, but I didn't tell people to smoke. Other people just incidentally get cancer. Other people refuse to stop eating. Other people have diabetes. Other people have sadly are born with other things that they're dealing with. But we're not trying to solve everybody's problem. That's not the point of our country. When he said, Brian, that unvaccinated people are killing people that are vaccinated, that's wrong. Where in the world did he get that? It from? makes no sense. I mean, why take a no vaccination if some unvaccinated person can kill me? <laughs> That's exact, exactly right. And they prey off the people that are that are uneducated on this, that don't really keep up with it, that, and, and people start to panic. It, it's and again, it goes back to what I tell you. And I, I hate to keep pushing this. We have no leadership in this country. Anybody that could see what's going on right now would say, "Man, the animals are running the zoo." And all these big government socialists are absolutely killing this country in, in a lot of ways. And that's just one of them. Yeah, I mean, uh, this, for example, he said, you know, I know a lot of you got vaccinated are very, getting very frustrated and angry with those unvaccinated. No, we're not. But if we listen to you and think that vaccinated people are being killed by unvaccinated, that pretty much gets it people a little angry. So uh, it's just not the truth. Uh, Senator Tommy Tuberville, thanks so much. Real quick, do you have a sense of who's going to be? Uh, who you would like as a Republican nominee uh, to get the Republican nomination in Alabama as a senator? Uh, no, I tell you, we got three, four good candidates, and I told them all I'm not pushing any of them. Nobody, I told them all, listen, none of you uh, 
endorse me. I'm not. I, I want the best one, best person for the state and for our country because we need strong leadership. And I think all of them would be good, but uh, people of Alabama will pick the right one. We'll see what happens. Senator Tommy Tomervold, former uh, coach of uh, Auburn and Mississippi. Thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Merry Christmas. Same to you. Uh, when we come back, it's your turn. one 408 Rich Lauer at the bottom of the hour. You're next. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis. Because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Did Senator Manchin break his commitment to you when you announced the framework? The White House says that all 50 senators were believed to get behind it, all 50 Democratic senators. So, did Senator Manchin break his commitment to you? Senator Manchin and I are going to get something done. Thank you. I'm going to talk to Rich Lowry about that. That was Joe Biden yesterday. And they said, I shouldn't be giving a press conference on this. And look, uh, I'm going to outline it a little bit. I think James Carville has something when he says build back different. I don't think it's dead, especially when I found out that Manchin did make him an offer at $1.8 trillion, But he actually wanted a real program in there with sunsets and duration rather than throwing a bunch of programs out there that he's going to dare Republicans. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Cancel that might uh, turn out to be social spending that might be popular. Uh, Meanwhile, just a quick note, I'm going to be on primetime all week long at 7 o'clock, and I hope everybody's been watching. Tonight we're going to have a a great roster of guests. In fact, Stephen Miller's going to be with us and talk about really the ins and outs of what's happening in our border and fentanyl. Uh, Lara Trump will be with us and uh, Laura Curran. Laura Curran is the uh, very popular uh, Nassau County executive Democrat who is very moderate and found out that because people labeled the Democrats bad when it comes to law and order, 
Bruce Blakeman won, who will do a great job, too. But Laura Curran is going to talk about the future of her party that's having some trouble now and is being led by the squad. Byron Donalds will be with us. Jim Jordan's got a best-selling book out. And James Craig, an African-American police chief that wants to be the next governor of Michigan. Man, my fingers are crossed he does. And don't forget, you can pick up The President and Freedom Fighter. Go to BrianKilme.com if you want it personalized. If not, just go anywhere uh, and keep us in the top ten in the country like you've done for the past six weeks. Let's find out tonight at 5 if it'll be 7. Rich Lowry's next, editor of the Nash Review. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your your ears, ears. it's Brian Kilmeade. Build Back Better, dead or alive, what do you think? Build Back Better is dead, but Build Back Differently is going to be very alive after the first year. And that is James Carville predicting that they'll come to a deal. And especially when President Biden said that yesterday, I talked to Joe already. Rich Lowry, editor of the National Review, we kind of thought that Build Back Better was dead. Should we think that way? Well, I think the way Carville puts it is right. Build Back Better, as we knew it, is dead. They have some chance. I don't know whether it's over 50 percent. I would guess less of getting Manchin on something. But they haven't acted the last couple days after that astonishing Fox News interview, Fox News Sunday interview, like they they want to work with Manchin. Now, Now they're changing their tune. But even yesterday, you had this bizarre rambling accusation from Biden that Manchin had gone before the Liberal caucus in the House and admitted that he, Manchin, was lying rather than than Biden, (laughs) which was completely untrue and and made up. So they've done a lot to alienate him. It doesn't mean they can't get him back on some sort of spending bill, but it's it's an uphill battle, I think. Here is uh, President Biden telling a, a portion of that ramble, cut 27. Did Senator Manchin break his commitment to you? When you announced the framework, the White House says that all 50 senators were believed to get behind it, all 50 Democratic senators. So did Senator Manchin break his commitment to you? Senator Manchin and I are going to get something done. Thank you. So so Manchin evidently, if I'm going to believe the reports, gave this to President Biden. He said, I'll give you $1.8 trillion, universal pre-kindergarten, an expansion of the Affordable Care Act, hundreds of billions of dollars in green energy spending, all totaled $1.8 trillion. If he was offering that and they didn't take it, they are idiots. Yeah, that's what I kind of think. It's, that, that report, I haven't, done, I haven't poked around myself on it, so I don't know what to make of it. But it's, it's hard to believe that they actually had that offer in hand from Manchin and, and couldn't work something out, which sort of makes me think that maybe that report is erroneous. Plus the kind of climate provisions, you know, the, Manchin has a big problem with that stuff. So it'd be bizarre that that all the climate stuff or, you know, hundreds of billions of climate stuff would, would be in there. So I'm, I'm skeptical. But if that report is accurate, then you would, you would think uh, all 
uh, everything else being equal, that they they maybe can get them on on some big package. The thing for for Mansion though is anything that can just be rebranded as another version of Build Back Better. It's a problem for him supporting that now because he kind of drew a line in the sand. Everyone has taken it, you know. I assume in West Virginia as well, as though he's killed this bill. So if he comes back in January, he said, "No, actually, I'm reversing myself." That would be personally and politically embarrassing to him, I would think. I would think so, uh, because that means he, he stands for nothing as opposed to stands for his people. And if you look at what's in this, Charles Lane of uh, writes in the Washington Post today, and I'll read you a portion. He says, it's quite clear that Build Back Better for New York, California, and New Jersey is better for them. The most expensive item in the House passed version is a $275 billion worth of restored federal deductions for state and local taxes. That is a valuable high-tax blue state, especially their upper middle class, which explains why representatives from the districts uh, and those districts signed off on it. West Virginia is a middling state, local tax burden, 26 in the country. So why would he sign off on this? In fact, we went out with cameras and microphones and asked the people of West Virginia how they felt about this. Cut 28. I support Joe Manchin 120 percent. Absolutely support him. For him um, not backing down to Biden. Nothing in that bill was going to help West Virginia. And in fact, it would cost us jobs, for which we, of course, would be paying his tax base. I think it was the right thing to do. Too much too much money going the wrong direction. Uh, I think he did a good choice of denying it. Gotta admire the man for sticking to his guns and doing what's right. I stand for Manchin for going against Biden. Because West Virginia's suffering for Biden's choices. I'm praising him. I may consider voting for him next time if he runs. He's also a provision of the bill for Michigan, a tax break for purchases of electric cars, which substantially favors vehicles built by members of the UAW that creates a de facto penalty for Toyota plan in Buffalo and in West Virginia, uh, which is non-union. The electric car subsidy is part of the Build Back Better $550 billion tax incentives and spending to promote alternative energy. Guess what? Uh, they, make 11, they, they produce 11% of the world's coal. And they have natural gas, which is booming. So why? I mean, this is a no-brainer. Yeah. Why can't anyone drill down on this, Rich, and just say he's got a reason to do it? How do we sell him on these things? Or rather than make him this terrible person that doesn't like children and is sold out to big business or big tech or to corporate interests, which is how they're characterizing him. Yeah, so as those men on the street interviews indicate, He's not paying any price in West Virginia. This is helping him. This is uh, bringing Republicans over to his side. This is convincing people he's he's a man of integrity and political courage. There was a poll last week that had, what, like 24 percent approval for Build Back Better in West Virginia. So th- th- there's there's no percentage in, in – uh, there's no – they don't have any political leverage over him. And as you say, that, that SALT deduction, it helps uh, affluent people in blue areas and coastal areas overwhelmingly. And that just shows that the shift of the, the Democratic Party, it's becoming more and more exclusively the party of college-educated professionals. And that's a, a party that's of less and less interest to Joe Manchin because that's not what, what the – Portrait of West Virginia is so it's a it's a mismatch on all levels for him. He is in the day, you know, he's a kind of deal maker. So I don't discount that they they could get something out of him, but but all this indicates why why it's an uphill climb. Uh, you know, I'm talking to Rich Lowry, National Review. Rich, last time we'll talk. This will last time we'll talk before uh, the, the close out of 2021. This first year, 
roughly, on average, he has a 41 percent approval rating. How would you characterize Joe Biden in office? I mean, it's been a disaster. It's hard to think of any successes. You know, he passed a lot of spending, right? He gets the bipartisan infrastructure bill. He gets the COVID relief bill. But those don't really have any impact on people's lives. That that huge tranche of COVID relief spending may have helped stoke inflation. And he created unnecessary disasters on the border and Afghanistan and then hasn't focused on what's a, a top mind concern for people, which is inflation and the state of the economy. Now, he's begun to to pay more lip lip service to that, but his overall rating on the uh, economy, this guy Harry Enten over at CNN crunched these numbers, it's lower than any president since Jimmy Carter. Since 1977, no president has been as rated as poorly on the economy as as Biden has, and just no president can withstand that. I mean, that's what people care about most. And then you have the COVID surge on top of this, so it wouldn't surprise me if, if he takes another step down, you know, if his, his approval rating goes to 40 or, or maybe a little bit below. But it's hard to imagine how he could have had a worse year. And if you look at the virus that he said was done in July and they said, all I have to do is get these vaccines and we're out. And, you know, the American public, I think, has done pretty well. Uh, you have 85 percent of the people over 65 that have gotten the shot over all the country. Uh, basically, seven out of 10 have gotten both shots. Pretty amazing at a country this size, this diverse. Uh, this big who votes so separately, even that now that yesterday he praised Trump, but yet he's still blaming the unvaccinated. And he, although he's saying no lockdowns, all I see around me is limitations yeah. and people staying home. Yeah. So I, I thought the speech was OK. You know, I thought it was important that he said it's not March 2020 again and cited all the, the reasons for that. It was good that he credited Trump with the, the vaccines, some bipartisan outreach there. Um, but be, being vaccinated does not protect you from getting this virus. I, I am a, a walking example of this. I'm vaccinated and boosted. I have COVID as we speak. You know, thank God it's been it's been mild. I feel as I kind of have a, a cold. Um, but he overpromised on this, and he overpromised because he thought the vaccine would crush cases, which which was a reasonable assumption. I thought that too, but it didn't prove out. And then this is w- what was unreasonable and was kind of a superstition on his side that if Trump just said the quote unquote write things about the virus, if they're just Ron DeSantis cared more about people, that there wouldn't be any pandemic. And that was just not true. This this virus was going to, at a significant level, work its will. Um, there, we had limited defenses against it. It would it surged in certain places based on the weather and geography, uh, not what you know the governor was or wasn't doing. And then he's in office, and if the same rules apply that applied in 2020, every single death would be lumped on his head. You know, I don't think that's fair, but that's the game they paid, played for a year, and, he, and he's going to pay a political cost just for having said this thing is going to go away, and it obviously hasn't. Obviously, it doesn't take uh, – it's not a tremendous leap to think the House is flipping. But as you look at race by race in, uh, amongst Republicans and Democrats for the Senate, uh, where is the greatest chances for Republicans to uh, flip, and what is the greatest worry for them to hold? Well, um, it, it's not it's not a great map necessarily, but the, the we saw this last November, you know, a month ago, is that if there's a wave, it doesn't really matter, you know, your candidate quality. It it, uh, it the kind of the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And I, I would expect if the election were held today, obviously, you know, you get get like a thirty seat 
pick up in the House at least, which would be the, the biggest Republican majority since the 1920s. And then I think the Senate comes in. I'm not sure exactly how it comes in for Republicans, but I, I think it would just based on overall conditions. I would say a couple of things. I would say they got to get it right with the right candidate in uh, in New Hampshire. Uh, and I think that Mark Kelly, surprisingly, is very vulnerable just by pure lack of performance in Arizona. Uh, I think Wisconsin, I think Ron Johnson has got to declare yes or no, I think be, I would think before the holidays. And then he's going to have a heck of a fight there because he's a polarizing finger by th- figure, but I think an effective senator. And I, I think there's there's other opportunities for them to pick up in Georgia, perhaps. But is Herschel Walker up to getting the issues and, and beating Raphael Warnock, who's very good on his feet? I think it comes down to individual battles. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, Arizona. Arizona is looking, at, you're right, looking better than you would have thought, which is a symptom, among other things, of this amazing, and this might be, you know, one of the top three political stories of the year, the, the apparent rightward shift among Hispanic voters, which is, is very marked. You had this Wall Street Journal poll that had Republicans, Democrats tied. You had a, a poll the other day that had Biden's approval rating lower among Hispanics than among whites. You know, how is that possible for, for a Democrat? So if that's true, you know, that, that puts an, an Arizona in play. But Georgia, you know, clawing back that seat, we'll have to see what kind of political performer Herschel is. And Pennsylvania also holding that Toomey seat is not going to be easy. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Uh, and it's going to be on pure performance. And we'll, we'll see what happens because everyone I talk to is so fed up with these viruses and the lack of direction from up top. And now we have a virus that spreads easily. Do you know what kind of variant you have, Rich? No, I, just the Binax uh, test you buy in a uh, pharmacy, although I guess you probably can't get, get them anymore. I haven't been out of the house in, in, a, in a little while. But it's been mild. Um, I, I tested positive Saturday morning. I felt like I had bad bad cold or flu over the weekend, stayed in bed. And now I just feel as though I have a, a lingering cold. So I don't know whether it's Delta or, or Omicron, but thank God so far it's been pretty mild. Have you had it before? No. No. Yeah. So I guess I'm on the super immunity club now. That's really, You're not kidding because that's what they're saying, that if you're double vaxxed and you get this. Did you get boosted too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Johnson & Johnson, both both the vax and the boost. So you get and, it. You know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't crazy. You know, I, I wasn't living like a hermit, but I wasn't going to, you know, rave parties uh, either. And just every – there's so many people – um, I talked to friends about this, that you know, we've kind of heard of people who got the virus over the last year and a half, but now, like, everyone we know in the tri-state area or in Washington, D.C. is getting it. It spreads easily, but the but the symptoms are mild. And even if you're unvaccinated, there's been only one death, and I feel bad for that person, but that's hardly a reason to shut down an entire country. I think that we got to do what the NFL did, and that if you do not have symptoms, obviously you have symptoms, if you do not have symptoms and you've been double vaxxed, uh, walk through it with no reason yeah. to test you. Why are we testing yeah. you? Yeah, like the the NHL is just I don't I don't get what they're what they're doing. You know, I follow hockey fairly closely. I can't remember one serious health outcome of any NHL player or any athlete whatsoever. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but but they're wrapping themselves and and ta- tangling themselves up with these with these tests and these supposed outbreaks. 
at least at least the the NFL still playing games, but you have like you know the Redskins like plucking some practice quarterback what from the Patriots squad to play last night because they they don't have anyone to play quarterback because of the COVID testing. Amazing, uh, Rich Lowry. Thanks so much. Feel better. Hey, thanks, Brian. All one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We'll finish with some calls. So we broke some news there. Rich Lowry's kind of the coronavirus. Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. And I don't even know if they work. I mean, maybe they stop spittle from getting into someone, but they don't. We know it. They don't work, dude. I don't think they do. They don't work. How they can work. They, if you can get your fingers in the side of it and air's yeah. coming out, masks are like the Democrats' MAGA hat. And we do it to make each other feel better. <laughs> yeah, but that's. I mean, that makes sense to me. That you wear it because it makes people feel comfortable, and I know it's illogical, and I'm fine wearing it if people if it relaxes people and it makes them feel better. But if people want to actually argue that they do something, it just doesn't make any sense, man. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, Joe Rogan, the most influ- according to media, the most influential person in media. I don't think any doubt about it. I think it's funny that no one ever talked negatively about Joe Rogan until he went to Spotify, moved to Texas, and it became clear he wasn't a Hollywood liberal uh, because they just assumed because he was a stand-up comic and was an actor and was a host all in Los Angeles. But when he moved to Texas, it started talking like he did. And people started looking, listening to what he said. He goes, he threw out podcasts. They go, I'm not too sure that we can continue to avoid attacking him. Eric just pointed out he actually wasn't the biggest fan because apparently he thinks uh, we didn't really land on the moon. At one point. He has come around since. He has? But at one point, yeah. How long ago? Oof. Several years. I think Neil deGrasse Tyson finally convinced him that we actually did land on the moon. Right. Hey, by any chance, did you see the Wall Street Journal today? Do you remember the rover landed with a drone on Mars? So they have a 10-minute video of everything we've learned so far. And it's amazing. Since a lot of video, they you know flying horizontally. The I mean the 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 miles we're getting. Also, we have to land another probe on the moon to pick up what this probe is digging up. How the hell are we going to do that? So they got a whole bunch of stuff, but there's no sense. We're not going to return that thing. That thing's going to die on Mars. So oh, yeah. Yeah, the, so we're sending Mars. another probe. It's going to take two years, twenty twenty eight, to get there. To pick up from this, that's going to be the mo- two robots talking to each other on the moon, getting cargo, and then I guess coming back. Yeah, it's amazing. Very carefully. That's a pretty good drone. I mean, that's, that's good batteries. Well, the other thing that's happening on Christmas Eve, to which Eric can speak too much better than me, is the big telescope that's going up that will get all these amazing pictures. The James Webb telescope, I believe, is launching on the... Is it Christmas Eve? Yeah, Christmas Eve. It's pointing towards the sun. Is that the one pointing towards the sun? No, this one is going to be the replacement for Hubble, essentially. Right. It's going to look further back in time and further away than Hubble did. Right. Oh, that's right. I saw this feature. They will be able to look back in time. And at first I said that's impossible. But then when they actually explained it, because and everything we see is delayed, right? 
So we could be looking up at a star, and that star could be gone because of that how long it takes. To and the primary like, focus of this will be to actually look at other planets, look at exoplanets outside right. of our solar system. Now, if we point to the other way, can we see the future? Can you find that out, Eric? <laughs> I'll ask. Will you? All right, good. And then get back to me. Will you text me or tell me? I'll text you. Thanks. No. Email. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1 866 408 7669. We're going to be able to take your calls coming to you from New York. I heard around the world, I know. But right now, the New York seems to be the center of the world as we begin to shut down with these Broadway plays, maybe New Year's Eve. Certainly, I was by the Christmas tree last night. And normally, uh, when I do a late night show and I'm able to get a car home, I say meet me on Fifth Avenue or Madison because on 48th Street, you got the people looking at the tree. You can't get by. And then they called me and they said, we can pick you up right in front. And I said, why? There's nobody here. You'll be able to float right through. And sure enough, right past the Christmas tree, I was able to get a car because this mayor effectively scared everyone or just told everyone, don't come in, even though they say no lockdowns. All indications are, if you see the size of the lines for testing, that people are just freaking out about a variant that gives you a runny nose and a 99 fever. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I have formally asked the Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland, to, with all deliberate haste, detail ATF agents to Chicago for six months so that we can increase the number of gun investigations and seizures in Chicago. Really? Woke criminal justice got us a broke criminal justice system, resulting in one common result. Safety and security is now foremost on everyone's mind. Chicago Mayor Lightfoot pleads for the Biden administration to do what Trump offered, provide federal forces to control the out-of-control crime in that city. Number two. Build back better, dead or alive, what do you think? Build Back Better is dead, but Build Back Differently is going to be very alive after the first year. Stop celebrating Republicans. Build Back Different could happen. A revived spending palooza could be in the works as Biden tries to revive reconciliation talks with Joe Manchin. Number one. If you're not fully vaccinated, you have good reason to be concerned. And the unvaccinated have a significantly higher risk of ending up in a hospital or even dying. Operation Omicron underway. How do we stop a variant that spread quickly and kills, hospitalizes few, leaves the victim with mild symptoms? Mandate vaccines, demand boosters, send tests to every home and create a villain, the unvaccinated. To me, that's unacceptable. But let's find out with somebody who knows this and was at the was on the front lines of fighting it. Paul Mango, former deputy chief of staff for policy at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and author of the upcoming book Warp Speed because he helped bring Warp Speed into a vaccine multiple vaccines it was a perfect mix of private and the public sector and it worked and it's still working paul welcome back hey brian thanks for having me it was great talking to you i shouldn't say welcome i was welcome back for the first time to the radio show but i did speak to you last night and operation warp speed made it possible to stop COVID 19 to made it possible to stop the delta variant 
Uh, do you think by far this is the most effective vaccine, this series of vaccines in the world? Well, Brian, um, empirically, yes. Um, you know, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines came in at 95% effective, which is almost unheard of. Uh, just to put that in perspective, the annual flu vaccine is 40 to 60% effective. But I think there's a point that I want the listeners to understand about warp speed. It wasn't as much a scientific achievement as it was a logistical achievement. We had no excess manufacturing capacity for vaccines in the United States in March of 2020. We had to expand or stand up 27 different manufacturing facilities in seven months. We had to get raw materials from all over the world. We had to get equipment. We had to secure a billion needles and syringes during a pandemic. We had to enroll 50,000 vaccination sites all over the country. Uh, and uh, it was really um, a logistical achievement as much as it was a scientific achievement. I hope the book describes this. I hope the American people come to understand that. Uh, Paul, uh, when you did, about a year ago today that it came to market, you had already made uh, the vaccines as if they were going to be successful. So if you did get the green light, you'd be ready to go. You wouldn't have to go to manufacturing and start mass producing them. You did it already. Uh, do you remember that that day when those vaccines started going in arms? Yes, Brian, and you're absolutely right. One of the keys to Operation Warp Speed was performing tasks in parallel rather than series. So we were manufacturing in the summer of 2020 millions of doses of vaccines before we knew they were going to be approved. And that's why within 24 hours of the time we got the emergency use authorization, those vaccines were moving to the American people. And yes, I remember that day well. It was uh, December 14th was the first day that Americans got vaccines in, in 2020. And I was in the vaccine operating center, Brian. And if you think about uh, mission control in Houston, this is kind of what the room was that we had. We had monitors all over the wall, cubicles with military officers and representatives from all the private sector companies that were helping us. And we had an information technology system developed by Palantir where we were getting signals every two minutes from every vaccine shipment container all over the country. And we were monitoring whether it was in the air, on the ground, where it arrived, who signed for it. It was really a spectacular day. And everyone, while you know, cognizant of the fact that Americans were still dying, it was a day of, of, of great fulfillment right. uh, for the Operation Warp Speed team. Uh, Absolutely. And and then there was a when the Biden administration took over, they talked about how they really had nothing there and no system to distribute around the country. How did you take that news? Well, Brian, as part of the reason I wrote the book, I want the American people to understand what really happened. And this was a great American achievement. But on day one, they said three things. They basically said we didn't have a plan. Uh, we left them a mess and they had to start from scratch. And I have to tell you, it demonstrates a significant lack of executive presence on the part of the president. And why do I say that? Because there were scores, hundreds of career officials after we left that were still delivering on Operation More Speed, and their commander-in-chief was criticizing them, basically saying they hadn't done anything in the prior seven months, which wasn't true. So it was not good for morale. I talked to a lot of my former colleagues during those months. They were their morale was really uh, poor during that time because of, uh, of of what the Biden administration folks were saying. I was just struck a couple of weeks ago when Anthony Fauci said multiple times, but he said it here. You know, you'll hear music in the background. He's taking credit for the entire thing when he was telling people you're not going to get a vaccine for years. But listen to this. It was like, oh, my goodness. And that's when it became very clear 
that the decision we made on January the 10th to go all out and develop a vaccine. We have a number of vaccine candidates. May have been the best decision that I've ever made with regard to an intervention as the director of the Institute. Was he the one who, who shot off the starting gun? Absolutely not, Brian. Um, were they looking in the vaccines on that day that the DNA sequence of the virus was released? Absolutely. But they had nothing comparable to what Operation Warp Speed became. And the real heroes, as the book describes, of Operation Warp Speed, it started in the Oval Office, quite honestly, with the president's leadership. Then it was Secretary Alex Azar. It was General Gus Perna. It was Dr. Monsef Slawi. And it was scores of military officers from the Army's Materiel Command that enabled the private sector to be successful. And I think it's an important point, Brian. What we did was uh, enable the private sector. The private sector delivered the outcome. And the government never left its lane, the federal government, which was only do the things that the private sector could not do better. It was a philosophical difference between us and this administration, and uh, that's why it worked. Right, and because he has no experience, the president has no experience in the private sector, zero. Uh, the two jobs he said he had, he made up. There's no proof of it. you got to think that never would have happened. He would never look to the private sector on something uh, that he felt as though the government had to deliver. Tell me if this helped or hurt, the distrust many people still feel with the vaccine. Cut 13, Kamala Harris. This virus has impacted almost every country. But there's a reason it has hit America worse than any other advanced nation. It's because of Trump's failure to take it seriously from the start. His refusal to get testing up and running, his flip-flopping on social distancing and wearing masks, his delusional belief that he knows better than the experts. What do you think when you hear stuff like that, knowing what was really going on behind the scenes? Uh, I'm guessing that those words don't taste very good when she is eating them now, Brian. Uh, That's the first thing I think. But no one was more committed to eradicating this virus or mitigating its effects than President Donald Trump. One of the things that occurred before Operation Warp Speed that people forget about was he mobilized industry to produce 100,000 ventilators in 90 days. This happened in March and April of 2020. He had an inveterate belief in the private sector and its ability to mobilize behind the American people in this virus. And that's why, you know, everything we did from Operation Warp Speed to securing a PPE, you know, the president took credit for that last night or yesterday afternoon. We secured 150 million N95 masks before we left. That's what was in the stockpile. So all of this, you know, commitment to this virus and the energy and the time. Uh, President Trump was just an enormous leader during this period of time, and anyone who criticizes him doesn't really know what's going on or is trying to politicize uh, something that's very serious, and that's unfortunate. Uh, President uh, President Biden on why he wants to mandate all these vaccines and these masks cut for. Last week, the federal court reinstated my administration's vaccination or test. The vaccination or test rule for businesses more than 100 employees. I know vaccination requirements are unpopular for many, not even popular for those who are anxious to get them. My administration has put them in place not to control your life, but to save your life. 
and the lives of others. The rule is legal and effective. It's going to save thousands of American lives. You know about leadership. You went to West Point. Is that the way to lead, mandate, and make the American people built on freedom and liberty to do something? They have legitimate questions. I'm talking about PhDs to the guy or woman driving the truck right now. Absolutely not, Brian. And you know what? He is framing the risks to the unvaccinated in the most hysterical way possible. And let me just describe something to you. If you are lying in a hospital bed today and you have COVID or you die in that hospital and you have COVID, sure, you have an 85 to 90 percent probability that you're unvaccinated. That's a true statement. But let's flip that and say if you are unvaccinated and you contract COVID, you only have a 2 percent probability of going to the hospital and less than a half a percent probability of dying. So this is unnecessary hysteria. And do I support vaccines and vaccination? Absolutely. But he is misrepresenting the risks to those who are unvaccinated. Uh, it's simply not what he is talking about. It's, it's significantly less. So what you just said is if you get this COVID-19 Delta variant or obviously it's even less on the current variant, there's only a yes. 2% chance and less than that of you dying vaccinated well, or unvaccinated. Yep. Yeah. Well, if you're unvaccinated, only a 2% chance that you'll wind up in the hospital and only less than a half a percent chance that you'll die. Now, are those probabilities less if you're vaccinated? Absolutely. But he is blowing out of proportion the risks uh, that are the unvaccinated are facing from COVID. And in terms of leadership, sometimes you have to act in extreme ways to lead a group of people. Is this the way a leader leads a country through through the unknown. Two, two things on leadership where he's failing, Brian, uh, and we pointed one of these out last night, um, and that is good leaders actually dampen anxiety. They don't amplify it, and this guy is amplifying it. But there's another leadership lesson that I learned very early in my career, and that is leadership is not about being on top. It's about being out in front, and this guy is not out in front. You know who's out in front of this virus? The American people, they understand the risks and the rewards of vaccination, of not vaccination. Should they send their kids to school? Should they not? You know what? The governor of Colorado, Jared Polis, is out in front of this. He's basically said the emergency is over. Small businesses that know how to protect their customers, they're out in front of this. President Biden, the metaphor I would use, Brian, is that um, he is sprinting after a train that has left the station and that train is being conducted by the American people. That's not leadership. He's not out in front. And he's blaming others uh, for and the unvaccinated for all of our problems, which is creating yeah. more division in this country. And it's just not right. And that's from a guy that helped create the vaccine. Uh, and you're saying he's not mandating something that really made history. It's going to his upcoming book, Warp Speed. You can download it now and have it ready the day it publishes. Paul Mangle, former deputy chief of staff for policy at the U.S. Department of HSS. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks, Brian, for having me. Have a good day and a great Christmas. Absolutely. one 408 7669 When we come back, I'll take your calls. At the bottom of the hour, Ben Dominich. And, of course, uh, tonight at 7, I'm hosting primetime. Everybody be there. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. 
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I don't think anybody anticipated that this was going to be as rapidly spreading as it did. The Omicron virus spread even more rapidly than anybody thought. Yeah, it looks like uh, they're surprised they're at a test. They're surprised how rapidly this variant happened. Robert Redfield joined me yesterday, who was running the CDC when when Trump was in office. He said, no, no, I I said it actually on your show, on your network, that expect these variants to come quicker, to spread uh, easier, but to be less lethal. Lethality will drop. And that's what's happening. It's dropping. And also the president's revisiting two things. He's revisiting the travel ban from Africa which I just think would be a great symbolism because they were honest and candid about a variant that was coming our way. Number two is they are thinking about if you do test positive and are vaccinated, no longer waiting 10 days to get back into circulation, knocking it down to five. And I think that could come across quick. You talk about detrimental. All of a sudden you have no symptoms. You've been double vaccinated, maybe even boosted. You got the virus. You just heard Rich Lowry got the virus. You're supposed to sequester for 10 days. We're going to continue to do this, really? And now he's saying it's not that dangerous. When when do we not become uh, contagious? Dr. Rochelle Walensky on Special Report last night. Man, she fell short on so many answers. Cut six. The speed of, by which Omicron has um, been, you know, transmitting has been seen and mirrored in many other countries. And so we've been watching this carefully. We anticipated this. This is what we have been preparing for. There have been doubling times of this virus in other countries that have had the virus before us in the one and a half to three day range. And so this is exactly what we anticipated. And it is why the president has been moving forward and today announced a three pronged plan to increase support and surge capacity in hospitals to um, increase access to free tests and to make sure that there's increased capacity for both vaccinations and for boosts. Number one, can you to brief when you brief the president, can you tape it? Because he just said the exact opposite. And if you told him ahead of time, why did he wait till today to announce it or do it? We have lines wrapped around blocks in the city for people waiting to go test, maybe to travel or they're nervous. I'm not sure. They don't feel good. I'm not too sure standing in 20 degree weather helps the con- their condition. The other thing you might want to say is so far, this is not a lethal. It's a cold. It's a mild cold. I don't think we should destroy the country. Just saying I'm not going to shut the country down while scaring the hell out of people basically shuts the country down because then they say, we're not going to go to the restaurant. We're not going to go to the gym. We're not going to go to the theater. We're not going to go to grandma's house. We're not going to hop on the plane. We're not going to go on vacation. So by saying and disproportionately characterizing this virus, you're shutting the country down. Not good. Can anybody lead and not panic the American public for once? With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. If your children are not vaccinated, please get them vaccinated. If you're a parent, understandably, who waited to see how the first shots went with other kids before getting your own kid vaccinated, you can stop waiting. Six million children in our country, ages 5 to 11, are vaccinated. Get your children protected today, now.
Right, uh, because Dr. Biden knows everything about children, and we should be taking our cues from him. Uh, right, uh, the vaccination. Get your kids, just shoot them in the arm, all right, and leave me alone. Uh, ben Dominates, Fox News contributor, publisher of The Federalist, uh, Deep Thinker. It's got a great podcast. Ben, welcome back. Good to be with you, Brian. Uh, it was interesting to see uh, Joe Biden out there uh, yesterday sounding kind of a, a more restrained note than I think what we've heard from uh, some of the panicky folks within his own administration on a couple of these things, uh, particularly when it came to wanting to keep schools reopened and, and things like that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, look, they, they still seem to be completely wedded to this idea that we need to be treating this illness as if it is uh, putting kids in danger when we all know and have known for such a long time uh, that the biggest dangers that the kids have been experiencing because of COVID uh, is the loss of, of really years of education and, uh, and advancement and everything else that has come with horrible government policy and the way they've been treated. So uh, having said all that, we have a new variant, and the variant is spreading to everybody. Like so many people you probably know are going, well, I'm positive, I'm positive, I'm positive, but I'm also positive they're going to be fine. Uh, so why wasn't that a theme? I mean, can we just say that? I mean, we, by this time, the Delta variant, the COVID-19 original, was putting people in refrigerator trucks, bodies. We didn't have enough refrigerator yeah. trucks. And then the second variant came in, surprised a lot of people. The numbers were, were tough. But let's be honest, that's not happening now. Uh, ben, why don't we admit this? Well, there are a couple of reasons. Uh, and I think that the biggest reason, though, of all is that the people who have been talking about this from the beginning only really have one setting at this point, uh, and that is to uh, be panicky about everything that we uh, have that's new, uh, to insist that we have to default to these policies that we all know don't work, including policies of lockdowns and mandates. Uh, they really only have one speed to turn to. And I think that that's something that uh, they're doing in part because in order for them to actually be honest about what's going on, they would have to admit a number of things. They would have to admit that people who were early critics of the approach to lockdowns and uh, preventing people from going back to work, preventing people like from us? being able to go to school, well, were wrong. Uh, were, were, uh, that they were wrong when they were criticizing uh, them for making that argument. That everybody who was saying, you know, hey, no, look, we shouldn't, we shouldn't overreact to this. We should uh, do what you know steps are necessary, but that we should be very much aware of the negative uh, downsides. Uh, that could affect so many different people who are not at risk uh, when it comes to this uh, disease. They would have to admit that everybody who was uh, making that argument had the had the better of it, and that the, that they've been borne out by by events that have come since. And I think that there's a, a real a doubling down right now on the part of a lot of our leadership, particularly uh, within this White House, uh, that refuses uh, to go in, in any way to admit. Uh, that this was an approach that that was wrongheaded uh, and that there was any downsides to it. I think that's one part of it. I think the other part of it is that, frankly, these are a lot of people who are reading these poll numbers and understanding uh, that the only area where they have any hope, where they have any level of significant support still uh, within uh, their response to any of the challenges facing America today whether it's the economy, inflation, uh, the border, our status around the world, uh, rising crime, et cetera, the only area where they have any kind of support is on COVID response. And so because of that, they just are saying, look, we have to just talk 
we have to talk this up as much as possible. We have to make uh, everything an emergency uh, in order to try to push through our agenda. And I think what we've seen the last several months shows that doesn't work either. You know, the, the, your threats don't work when it comes to threatening people about, uh, you know, treating them like an outgroup when it comes to getting vaccinated. Uh, and your threats don't work when it comes to trying to convince Joe Manchin to go along with your massive progressive economic agenda. Uh, and yet that's the only thing they keep doing. Any other – look, Brian, any smart, competent chief of staff running a White House – could see that there is a lane for Joe Biden to get back to doing the things that he kind of sold himself on to the American people in the first place. What is that? It's by having you know people who are at the center of the political uh, debate direct uh, the economic policy that he has, the economic agenda that he has, as opposed to uh, listening to his left flank. It's about sidelining the panicky people like Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, who only have one setting, on this thing, uh, it's about uh, basically insisting that well, we take on these uh, these teachers unions organizations that have played so many games with our kids. Uh, these are all things that it is absolutely in the president's power to do, but he's not doing them because the White House, as I said, is just doubling down on all the things that haven't worked to this mm. point. It's very short-sighted. It's a mistake. Right. And I think there's going to be a political backlash to it that they experience in the coming year. Look, the pandemic was something that nobody was really ready to handle, and Donald Trump likes to dominate the political scene, tried to dominate the virus. And we, we are seeing now it's impossible. We, there's nothing we can do to stop it. Uh, there are things we can do to mitigate it, but we, most of all, we have to learn to live with it. So we, we were probably talking, Ben, I'm sure there's many uh, uh, there's tapes out there of you and I being critical of the Trump administration at times by the way they were doing things. But in retrospect, a year later, having learned from what Donald Trump did and didn't do, they're making the same mistakes, which I think is just unacceptable because they're the ones with the experience and pledged and promised to be better. For example, yesterday— he uh, Michelle Walensky said, we anticipated this. We knew exactly we anticipated this variant. Uh, the president has been moving forward today and announced a three-pronged strategy to, to uh, surge the capacity in hospitals, to increase access to free tests, and to make sure that there's increased capacity for the, for the vaccinations. She said they were ready for this. And then Joe Biden said, cut five. I don't think anybody anticipated that this was going to be as rapidly spreading as it did. The Omicron virus spread even more rapidly than anybody thought. This is the same thing. And look at what Kamala Harris, before I give comment, it's the other, the the vice president too. Listen to Kamala Harris. Uh, Yeah, listen, Kamala Harris comes out and says nobody anticipated the Delta variant. Okay. Wow, that's kind of honest. Sam said no one anticipated that. I didn't know that. So listen to Fauci. I think that the vice president's uh, statement was taken a bit out of context. I believe she was referring to the fact that the, the, the extraordinary number of mutations and amino acid substitutions, particularly with Omicron, no one had expected it that much. But we were well prepared and expected that we were going to see variants. There's no- right. Uh, the, the, the vice president didn't, say, didn't talk about the amino acids. So that was her big problem. So she, he went out of his way to say she was taken out of context. Shouldn't she be saying she was taken out of context? Look, uh, Anthony Fauci spent so much time spinning for himself. Now he's decided to take it on for uh, Vice President Kamala Harris as well. I mean, it, you know, look, the, the, this, is, this is a guy who seems to have spent so much more time 
uh, trying to, and I think we're seeing now as the emails are coming out, you know, uh, go after critics of his approach, uh, engage in this media spin as opposed to spending his time focused on what he ought to have been doing. And, I, and, and you mentioned earlier about the, the idea that we've you know, been critical of both of these administrations. If that's true, Brian. I think one area that you and I have both been critical is the need for, it, uh, for additional inexpensive and widely available testing. This has been something that I've been beating the drum on for, for more than a year that you know, I'm sure you have as well. And the fact that we don't have that still at this point, that there are still FDA barriers to getting uh, these types of tests approved, that there was such a delay uh, from the get-go and the w- approach that was used, is a major flaw that is something that is absolutely laid at the feet of these health bureaucrats uh, who have uh, raised up so many different barriers at every point to prevent these types of, of, uh, of tests from being widely available and inexpensive for right. people to get. The, the, the images of people standing in line in the cold to get tested are just abhorrent to me. At this point, we ought to be able to get these types of tests and have them widely available for everybody, regardless of your vaccination status. And that's something that I think we can absolutely lay at the feet of these bureaucrats, but that's why they have to spin this and say, oh, no, we were always prepared. We always were were ready. We were on top of this thing from the get-go, even though the truth is that as we will learn in the, in the coming months and years, as we delve through everything that was going on, that they were caring a lot more about the way that their actions were being spun in the press uh, than actually taking these steps that they that is under their responsibility in order to achieve that kind of approval. Exactly. And why, why still to this day, I'll never understand why Anthony Fauci has to do every podcast Every TV appearance when the guy should be, if he truly was a medical professional with, with this genius, with this powerful position, he'd be like Tuscanini directing traffic in and out, too busy to do one interview, uh, let alone every interview. So to your point, that question came up yesterday. Cut eight. Public health officials have been saying for months you need to surge rapid tests for just this moment. Is it a failure that you don't have an adequate amount of tests for everyone to be able to get one if they need one right now? No, it's not, because COVID is spreading so rapidly. You notice it just it just happened almost overnight, just in the last month. But it all started, all of a sudden, it was like everybody rushed to the counter. It was a big, big rush. And I knew that was coming. So what I tried to do is meet with the companies and use the uh, Defense Production Act to get a half a billion more tests and figure out how to get them to their homes. I'm I'm sure that I'm even buying that. Does that really mean that we're not really waiting on lines for tests? No, it's it's absolutely absurd, Brian. And and the way that the White House has tried to, uh, you know, maintain this fiction that they've been ready for 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 everything, and that uh, you know anything that it looks like we weren't ready for, it's because it came out of nowhere, uh, and no one would have anticipated it. It's a, it's as absurd as as saying uh, that no one anticipated that there would be chaos in Afghanistan, or that there would be any consequences to their border policy, uh, or that there would be any inflation because of the economic policies that they pursued. The fact is that as much as they might like to you know proclaim from uh, the the podium at the White House, whether it's Jen Psaki or the president that, oh, well, no economist 
thinks that this will result uh, in inflation. Uh, the truth is they're just ignoring everybody who they dis- disagree with. And that's been true from the get-go with this White House. They ignore everyone that they disagree with. They try to bully you to come across uh, the line and, and go along with what they want. And uh, as I said, this, this has been proven to be as effective with Joe Manchin as it has been with the you know vast number of Americans uh, who have not gotten vaccinated. Now, look, as you know, I'm, I'm in favor of people getting vaccinated. I'm opposed to uh, using the power of the government to demand that they get vaccinated or, or force them to be vaccinated against their will. But I do think that this is a situation uh, that the the Biden administration has to look back on their first year and and consider a failure. Um, They did not shut down the virus. It has gotten worse, even with the power of having multiple vaccines, having multiple treatments, uh, having a much better situation in terms of knowledge than the Trump administration had. They have handled it worse. They will continue to handle it worse without redirecting their their energies uh, and actually including some people in the conversation uh, who don't just agree lockstep with everything that uh, that this White House from on high and these health bureaucrats from on high believe that we ought to do. Right. And it was good that he complimented the president, gave him credit for his administration coming up with the vaccine. That was the first time. Why it took a year, I don't know. I do know. But let's uh, lastly, real quick, I want you to weigh in on the bill back better. James Carville said this about what we could look forward to in 2022. Cut 26. Build back better, dead or alive. What do you think? Build back better is dead, but build back differently is going to be very alive after the first year. Do you think so? Because the report that Joe that Joe Manchin actually put out a proposal uh, that added up to one point eight trillion that included universal pre-K and expansion of the Affordable Care Act, hundreds of billions in green energy spending, which seems to have been rejected. Do you think that Joe Biden's going to go back there and just sign off on that? And would that be a disaster? I don't think that he I don't think that he can for a couple of different reasons. One of the biggest reasons, I think, uh, is that the, the for the purposes of the progressives within the, the coalition today, they were promised so much out of Build Back Better that I just don't think they're going to be able to get it out of uh, a, a piece of legislation that has mentioned at the center. That being said, I do think it would be wise for Biden to try to do that, to try to get them to come along on something that is still a, you know, a massive package uh, that wouldn't uh, be to the level perhaps of their liking but would still achieve a lot. The problem is they wanted to get everything out of this. They wanted to do an FDR level, uh, you know, Green New Deal level uh, type of approach uh, when it came to BBB. I think, unfortunately, that they're going to find uh, that the, the left is willing to basically say, you know what? We believe we're the future, that we're going to be around for a long time, and that we're not going to be uh, beholden necessarily to a mansion-directed future uh, if we just wait long enough. And that's something that I think is going to be a real question in the next year. Uh, Carville is smart enough to know that they need something massive in order to uh, perhaps redirect things politically. But even if they do that, I'm not sure that that's going to be successful because they've been such a failure in so many different respects. And I'm not sure that you know Manchin's own proposal won't end up uh, just being something that politically does not connect with the American people or make their lives better in time to redirect policies and redirect uh, the politics of the moment headed into the 2022 midterms. Ben, how do we get your podcast? 
You can go to foxnewspodcast.com. I hope people will uh, go there and sign up and, and download it. And, Brian, I just want to say, if we don't have a, another chance to, to talk before the end of the year, it's really been a pleasure talking to you all year on this radio program, uh, and it's been uh, excellent to see your success with this, with primetime, and with everything else uh, that you've done this year. So thank you for having me on. Uh, absolutely, uh, Ben. And I think that you get smarter every time I talk to you. I'm not really sure if you read between uh, between our sessions because a lot of people just wait for the call, but you are actually reading and learning and, and educating yourself. And now that you have your wife home, is that, is that good? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it is great to have a uh, wife home, and, and this is uh, our, our little 15-month-old uh, daughter's uh, Christmas uh, is, going, is going great. There are to- toys strewn out over the entire floor, so <laughs> I'm, I'm constantly hopping in pain, gotcha. uh, and it's a wonderful time. <laughs> the supply chain didn't hurt the Dominic Christmas. Thanks so much, Ben. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You had said back in, I think it was June, that we would hear pet news on a day when uh, it was a tough news day. And it was a late joke. <laughs> but yesterday we heard about Major being rehomed, a new puppy, and a White House cat. So is this like the worst week ever for the White House? <laughs> Be- believe it or not, Jackie, I don't have time in my schedule to coordinate with the pet uh, folks, uh, but the pet was a present a present from uh, the president's brother. Uh, I met the pet this morning, the pet commander. We can call him by his name. Um, and he's very adorable. He's going to bring joy to the president, the first family, to all of us probably as well. Um, and as I think was noted by uh, the first lady's team, uh, we can expect to meet the cat, a she, as I've learned, um, in January. So that's some of the hard-hitting questions that you were getting. Well, that was from Jackie Heinrich from Fox, but it was sort of a joke, right? Because right, because you said that day before. Hey, uh, thanks so much for listening to this hour. We're going to continue as we get closer and closer to Christmas. Remember, I'm going to be on at 7 o'clock tonight on primetime. A lot of guests, including Governor Jim Justice of West Virginia. How does he feel about Bette Midler's tweets about his people? Imagine not happy. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 Got a busy hour coming your way. We're going to be joined by Dr. Mark Siegel to try to unwind what we learned yesterday from the President of the United States and what we didn't learn, uh, why people are lined up, wrapped around blocks in New York City for um, trying to get a test. At the same time, we're told no lockdowns, but everything's closing. Can't go to the Rockette show, can't go to nine Broadway plays, can't go to the NHL game. Uh, NBA game's just been postponed. I saw the Nets got their game postponed uh, a little while ago. 
Um, I think it's the 10th one in the NBA. The The NFL had a game on Tuesday. It is back to the future. So no lockdowns, but limitations. And if you test, if you are double vaccinated with a booster shot and you are diagnosed still with this virus, you are a runny nose and a 99 fever. Why are we still taking 10 days isolated or sequestered to get back in? We'll never be able to live with this virus under these current conditions. Uh, somebody who lives with it every day while trying to, um, you know, trying to keep the country safe. And do his thing representing Florida is Senator Marco Rubio, vice chairman of the Select Committee on Intelligence, Senate Committee on Appropriations, senior member of the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations, and Special Committee on Aging. Senator Marco Rubio, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. And, and by the way, I wrote the CDC a letter on that very topic, and that is about a week ago. And I said, we got to change the guidelines for isolation of asymptomatic, fully vaccinated people. Because if we don't change the guidelines for that group, we're going to have a total economic meltdown. I mean, what do you do? Like, I, this is already happening. All right, so give me an example. I'll give you an example. Last night, I'm home. I have some. My son wants to invite some kids over, you know, to do some stuff here at the house pre-Christmas, whatever, because they all you know, everybody takes off on trips afterwards. Call Domino's Pizza. Domino's Pizza lady says we got one driver, so the you know delivery will be in the next four to five hours, which <sighs> obviously doesn't work. Now I didn't ask the one driver, but on top of that, I know three other businesses, restaurants, and others who have closed either early or have closed entirely days this week because they've got, you know, five workers and two of them or maybe three are home for 10 days with COVID. They tested positive, and so they're vaccinated. They're not even sick. And so we got to re- revise these guidelines or this whole country's now. What are we going to do when 100, you know, 100 pilots for American Airlines test positive and they have to sit out for 10 days? So, um, or, or, you know, 50 nurses in the ICU. Uh, again, I'm talking about people who have no symptoms, Okay, and are fully vaccinated. There's got to be an adjustment to this. This 10-day thing is just not, not going to work. Senator, I couldn't agree with you more. It is, you could say no lockdowns, no shutdowns, but under these guidelines, you're, you are locking down, shutting down. And yesterday you said, we're looking at that. What are you, you're the president. I mean, why, why are you waiting for a question on this? Why are you not leading with this? That's practical. I, I'm tired of villainizing the unvaccinated as well. I want to talk about China, but real quick, the unvaccinated are not a danger to the vaccinated, and nor should they be uh, marginalized in our society. You go ahead. The president of the United States, the former president, the president, both got vaccinated and boosted. They both made it clear. You know, you could say whatever you want. I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor. Go seek out your doctor. But the current mandate, do what I say or I'll isolate you or fire you, to me, is not going to bring the country together, to say the least. Yeah. So to me, it's always been like the people that are driving in the street and don't want to wear their seatbelt. If you don't have your seatbelt on in your car and I have my seatbelt on in my car and you crash into me, you might get really hurt. But the fact that you didn't have a seatbelt on means nothing to me in my own car with my seatbelt on. So that's how I've always viewed vaccination. I think the only credible argument that you can make that the burden that the unvaccinated create is they get it. They get really sick. They end up in the hospital. You know, and they tax the system, they're filling up beds and things of that nature. But at the same time, I just got to tell you, there's a limit to what you can make people do in a free country. And, and, and the other thing I would say to people to understand is that you can talk all you want about this being some sort of American phenomenon. It really isn't. I mean, these, these uh, uh, campaigns, all this resistance to vaccine mandates, to restrictions, to closures are happening all over the world, all over the world. They are having these protests as people push back because human beings will, will tolerate being told what to do to a point. 
and for a period of time, but not indefinitely. And, um, and I think that that's what you're seeing. You're seeing a very human reaction to that. And, and unfortunately, you're, we have leaders that don't calculate. They just think they can tell people what to do. And if they don't do it, they can, you know, sort of demonize them. So uh, Marco Rubio's here, and he's got so many of Aaron's expertise. This guy does not take an hour off, as well as having a family who's quite active, too, and young. So Anis Cantor, I interviewed him last night on primetime, and here's what he said about what's happening in China. He is extremely aggressive on the humanitarian disaster and the concentration camps, and like me and maybe you, offended that they decided to offer sanctions on the Americans that put sanctions on them and companies that deal with any product uh, which is a product of slave labor. Here is the center from the Celtics. Cut 41. You know, I feel like these are a lame attempt to retaliate against the U.S. for leading the world in responding to the mass genocide against Uyghurs in China. And, you know, the U.S. was the first country to sanction key officials and entities responsible for the atrocities is leading the global boycott of the Winter Olympics. And, you know, just last week, uh, you know, we passed the Uyghur Force uh, Labor Prevention Act they're ensuring that goods made in Xinjiang with forced labor do not enter our markets. And I want to hear from, I want to give a huge shout-out to my friend, uh, Sandra Rubio, and also Representative Jim McGovern by uh, leading the way. I think it's really important to hold these dictatorships accountable, and they are leading the way. So you work with Ennis. You see the bravery that he's had, that nobody has joined to the fight with him at all in the league. And first of all, yeah, go ahead. Well, first of all, Ennis is doing this at tremendous personal cost. Like, I say this, and I don't say this to, to be uh, uh, you know, dismissive of it or whatever. This is probably his last season in the NBA. I mean, there's no team that's even going to touch him next year because of the politics, um, you know, on this whole issue. I mean, that's just – and I think he knows that, and, and that's something to keep in mind. And in terms of what we passed, look, it's a very simple law. It says we know that China has slave labor in these camps in this part of China. And if you are a company that makes things or buys things that are made in that part of China, in order to bring it into the U.S. as an import, you're going to have to prove that it wasn't made by slaves. And, and I, we had major corporations fighting us against this. We had the White House trying to undermine it and stop it from happening. So it took a lot of work, but we got it done. And it makes all the sense in the world. And look, yeah, it's a human rights issue. There's no doubt about it. It's a horrific violation of human rights. But it's also part of the economic unfairness. Okay, We have let China... You know, they play by a different set of rules than we do. It's just that simple. And so when you're reading in the newspaper now that they've developed some missile, that they're doing this, that they're doing that, that they're spending money all over the world, because we've let them cheat for 20 years. We should have a very simple law, and the law should be this. Whatever our companies, whatever they make our companies and Americans do in China, we're going to make their companies do in America. The same conditions. It'll be a reciprocity, fairness across the board. They want to be a great superpower. They should play by the same rules. But we don't have factories in America that make things with slaves. If they have factories that make things with slaves, of course it's cheaper to make it in China. It's free. And, and that, that is the, that's the economic argument on top of the human rights argument behind it. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing that I find fascinating is that Apple, Disney, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, all these companies, they can, with, a, they, with a clear conscience, they can fight you on this. Fight you on something that's fundamentally as wrong now as it was in 1800. I mean, how could they possibly fight you on this? Because there's a lot of money associated with this, right? I mean, they want two things. Number one, for some of them, it's production. They are making products in China. And the fact that they're able to make these products, they've invested in these factories, and it's part of how they price it. You know what I mean? It, it, the more money you save making something, 
the more money you make when you sell it because there's you know less cost and more profit from it. That's number one. And the other is access to the market. Look, if you're Disney, if you're the NBA, I mean, the mar- China's an enormous country, over a billion-something people, right? And you want your television rights. You want your broadcast. You want to get paid for it. And, and that represents a bottom line in your annual returns and your quarterly returns. So every quarter when they have to issue their reports on how much money did we make, what does our financials look like, these CEOs, these, they, they get rewarded on the basis of how well the company's performing. And if you take the Chinese market out of their bottom line, then you know, they're going to take a big hit to their numbers, and you know, people are going to be, shareholders are going to want to know why, and people are going to be upset. So that's what's behind it. And if people would say, well, that makes sense. It's logical. That's right. And I say, no, that shows you how dependent we've become. We have a communist, genocidal government who has that kind of leverage over the largest companies in America and therefore the American economy. We've become that dependent on them. And, and it's just a dangerous dependence that we're going to wind up, we, maybe we are already, in a place that's going to be tremendously harmful to this country if we continue with this dependence. And if you want Marco Rubio and a lot of Republicans on your side, say there's going to be a national movement to get manufacturing and pharmaceuticals out of that country, even if it costs more. And I'm telling you, you be at the White House with Tom Cotton saying, Let's, let me help you. Uh, let me help you execute this. It will be a way to unite this country instead of denying this country. Now, yeah, there's a couple. Absolutely. I mean, you, I know you wouldn't a second. So, Eric, do you have it yet? You do. So, I, when I heard when I heard this comment from the soon-to-be former director of the NIH, I thought about you. Watch. I'm really sorry that the lab leak has become such a distraction for so many people because, frankly, we still don't know. There is no evidence really to say most of the scientific community, myself included, think that is a possibility, but far more likely this was a natural way in which a virus left a bat, maybe traveled through some other species and got the humans, and there was no lab leak involved. We won't know unless China decides to open up about this, which they have not done, and shame on them for that. Scientists not knowing, not caring, and saying it's a distraction to find out how a pandemic began that's killed millions of people. I don't get it. Well, first of all, understand these guys have research relationships with people for years and years and years all over the world, including in China. And so for them, I mean, they understand that if this turns out to be a lab leak, it's going to reflect on them and perhaps whatever arrangements and agreements they had with them. So they are reflexively, we see this at universities all the time. They are reflexively protective of other researchers because of the collaboration. And this was a known risk, by the way. There were articles about this years ago about how risky it was to do certain you know, gain-of-function experiments and the like. Here's the second point, and that is it is just as likely that, that it is a lab leak as it was a natural you know, transmission. And the reason why it's just as likely is because there's no evidence of the natural transmission either. To date, unlike SARS, unlike MERS, the Chinese have not produced the animal. They've not said, here's the bat. Or here's the pangolin, or here's the animal in, that first got COVID. We've produced it. we found it. They, they did that in these other pandemics. They haven't been able to do it here. There's no evidence of, of natural transmission either. And what you have here is a lot of circumstantial evidence, okay? You have a lab uh, that specializes in gain-of-function on coronaviruses, on bats, located in the very city where the pandemic started. And, by the way, a lab that has a history of previous lab leaks. And so forth. It's also possible, by the way, that one of these researchers got infected collecting bad samples in a, in a lab. 
the point is we don't know. We should know, and we don't know. And the reason why we don't know is because the Chinese don't want the world to know. Right. They and don't want him, us to know. I, I, the thing is, it should not. he should not be dismissive of this. He should be leading the inquiry and say, you know, we gave to this, and for whatever reason it is. Instead, he wants to dismiss the argument as, I don't know, a Facebook uh, uh, conspiracy theory. So lastly, no. I've been reading some encouraging stories uh, about what, how bad the economy actually is in China that the real estate market is falling through, that young people cannot get jobs, that they're pushed to eliminate these successful businessmen and uh, marginalize their profits and stop things like tutoring for the rich have begun to weigh on their economy. Have you seen some of these same indicators that I've been reading in the Wall Street Journal and talking to others about? Yeah, I think sometimes we focus so much on our problems, we forget the Chinese economy and future has its own question mark. First, they have a demographic calamity ahead, right? They're just not going to have enough people because they didn't have enough children, which is why they're so desperate to steal technology because their workers, they'll have less of them, have to be more productive, and that's going to take technology. The other is these companies that they have sponsored as a government, highly inefficient. I mean, in many ways, these companies have invested in things they're losing money on, but the government doesn't care because they're trying to put us out of business. The third is there's no transparency. Like we don't really know what the books look like for these Chinese companies, which is why I've pushed so hard and finally have met with some uh, you know, administrative success in requiring that these companies that are traded on a stock market have to play by the same audit rules as every other company. Because American investors, you put money into one of these companies, you have no idea what their real books are. So they're facing a series of challenges there, and, and then not the least of which, like in any dictatorship, no one ever tells the dictator the bad news, right? People always tell him what he wants to hear. They never really come back with the honest truth, which is why I'm convinced if this was a lab leak, no one went running to Beijing to say, hey, we have a problem. They tried to cover it up. You get punished for that stuff. So they've got their own set of problems. There's no doubt about it. Listen, America is going to – we're going to get – we're going to be fine. We're going to get there. You know, We just have some really bad leadership right now, but we're going to overcome it. And uh, I'd rather be us than them, no doubt about it. Right. Senator, are you worried about Val Demings? I mean, she's got a, a law enforcement background, popular on the Democratic side, confident she yeah, can beat you. Yeah, well, she's a Pelosi puppet. I mean, she's voted with Pelosi 100 percent of the time. I mean, she supports – you know, she's already voted to give a massive tax giveaway to rich people from, North, from North, New York and California. She's voted with you – know, she does whatever Pelosi tells her. And, um, you know, you talk about all the other things that she's supportive of. Um, you know, she, she voted against uh, deporting criminal aliens. You're an MS-13 member. You commit a crime in America. She doesn't want you detained. She doesn't want you deported. So we've got a great story to tell. I, I was ranked the most effective Republican senator by Vanderbilt uh, University of Virginia Center for Effective Lawmaking. Okay, The most effective Republican senator. She was ranked in the bottom half of House members. So we've got a great story to tell. Look, she's raising a ton of cash. These Democrats have this act blue thing. They go online. They raise a lot of money. So, look, it's Christmas. It's, you know, the holiday season. I know people are pinched, but if people can help me out with this, because we've got to have the money to tell our story and to tell her story. I mean, she will be the 51st vote for Chuck Schumer. Joe Manchin won't matter. She gets in the Senate replacing me. Chuck Schumer will have the votes to do whatever he wants. So I need people, if they can, to go on my website, MarcoRubio.com, MarcoRubio.com. And give whatever you can now or in January because we're going to need the help. We've got to try to match these guys. We're going to get outraised by a lot. So, Got it. Uh, Senator Marco Rubio will not be outworked. We know that for sure. Uh, Senator, thanks so much. Appreciate your time in this busy holiday season. you got, you got some Christmas shopping to do, so we know that your time is valuable. Appreciate it. Yeah, well, no, thank you. Merry Christmas to everyone and Happy New Year. Thank ba- you. Back at you. Uh, we're going to take a short time out and come back with your calls. And then Dr. Mark Siegel, if you have some questions, go to briankillmead.com. Hit on comments. It'll go right to my email. I'll read them out loud. Brian Kilmeade Show. 
newsmakers, and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Video that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It is essential that the police department take responsibility for the way in which it's uh, policed and the way in which it has, in many instances, alienated people of color, particularly African-Americans in this city. We live in a city that is traumatized by a long history of police violence and misconduct. We can't rely upon the police to provide public safety. Yeah, and that's what Mayor Lightfoot is all about. And when she watched the gang violence escalate day on and day out, she blamed racism, only wanted to talk to white reporters, and blame Donald Trump. Why? Because Donald Trump saw this was a problem when I was running. Now that I'm president, what can I do to help? Do you want federal troops? We can go block by block. What about some National Guard? How dare you? How dare you even offer that? And now she's begging. She's begging Joe Biden for ATF, anything, because of Gun violence, because we got to blame the guns. Get this. In Chicago, 783 murders, a 63% increase since 2019. Really? So you're going to blame the pandemic? Gang members are really, they're having trouble getting jobs. That's probably it. 3,467 shootings. That's a 68% increase since 2019. Tell me that's not terrible, but it's not owned as the only place. Out in the suburbs, in 204, there have been 204 uh, murders. That's an increase of 55% since 2019. So it's bleeding into rich areas, into suburban areas, and you left it unattended. She leaves office a disgrace. Rahm Emanuel, terrible. Because people want to be Democrats. They don't want to be American leaders. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We should all be concerned about Omicron. Not panicked. If you're fully vaccinated, and especially if you got your booster shot, you are highly protected. And if you're unvaccinated, you're at a higher risk of getting severely ill from COVID-19, getting hospitalized, and even dying. So the best thing to do is get fully vaccinated and get your booster shot. All right. Do you agree with that? Uh, the doctor's now in. Dr. Mark Siegel, Fox News contributor, author of COVID, The Politics of Fear and the Power of Science. Uh, Dr. Siegel, thanks for calling. Uh, what is your take, that you can get on board with what he said? I don't like that it's coming from him. I mean, he's, he's constantly blaming people, being disingenuous, and making things too simple. Me as a physician treating patients every day and deciding whether they should have a vaccine or not, my first question is, you know, have you had COVID? What kind of immunity is that giving you? I talked to Wasila Jassad from South Africa yesterday, Brian, who's actually on top of the Omicron outbreak there. She's the top public health official. And she said 
the immunity you get is a combination of people that have seen Delta, people that recovered from that, people who had vaccination. Having said that, I think that vaccine is really helpful and booster. But where is it? It's not in the doctor's office. Nobody can seem to find a booster right now. I mean, with the with the. The administration has done is to marginalize their opponents and to not learn from Operation Warp Speed. Operation Warp Speed is going to be held up by history as a one of a kind thing, a public private partnership which produced a vaccine in mass scale in nine months, and which the first thing that President Biden did was attack. So that's the disingenuous part. Where are the tests? Where are the vaccines? Where is the monoclonal antibodies? And where's the new pill sitting at the FDA doorstep? So everything he says is political, nothing medical. So the monoclonal antibodies evidently are in short supply because I guess they have to be uh, they have to be tweaked uh, to match this challenge, uh, uh, to match the spikes that we're seeing now, for example, in the virus itself. Why are they in short supply and what could we do? Is that something that comes from people that are vaccinated or that have had the virus? It's even worse than that, by the way. They're, they're in short supply because there, there's only one that really works against Omicron. It's so Sotrivimab. That one is made by GlaxoSmithKline, and there's none of it. They, this government bought 50,000 of them, not, five, not 50 million, 50,000. They're, they're thinking in very, very small numbers. And the other two monoclonal antibodies, which don't work that well against Omicron, Brian, they're nowhere to be found because there's been a run on them, like a run on the stock market. This is this is something bizarre, and the government is not rising to the occasion, and these things work. If you get sick with with COVID, you want to be able – do you remember, Brian, when, when Governor DeSantis set up the, the, the uh, clinics for these things in Florida that worked so well to stamp down that outbreak? Forget about it now. You can't get the monoclonal antibodies in Florida or anywhere else. This is a disgrace. Who makes them? Well, the drug companies make them. Uh, you know, in this case, the one I'm looking at is GSK makes it. The other two, Regeneron and, and Lilly, make the older versions that don't work as well against Omicron. Well, Omicron has taken over it now, so I'm looking at the GSK product. If President Trump was in there, you know, he'd be on the phone talking to GSK CEO, and there'd be a deal made between HHS, Health and Human Services, and GSK. We need, we need not 50,000 doses of this thing. We need 50 million. So the president made it clear we're not going to lock down. The mayor made it clear we're not going to lock down. However, if you're going to mandate vaccinations, if you if this is so easily spread and if you get it, you have to sequester for 10 days. You might as well be locking down. You're missing school. You're missing work. Jobs are going to be hurt. The economy overall will suffer. So what would you recommend we do? Because this variant so far has not proved to be anything more than a small cold. Brian, by the way, um, you just made a really great point. If you if you use that 10-day rule, there's not going to be a single person on the street anywhere. Not that there is now in New York, but, I mean, forget about it. So let's change the quarantine idea to five days right away, please, because Omicron doesn't sit in harbor and fester. It actually declares itself within a day or two. I think... That, that people that have had prior infections and those that have been vaccinated, as you just said, uh, and boosted tend to get very mild versions. Overall, it's been milder. I don't think we should ever be talking about closing schools, yet schools are closing. That was a huge disaster from two years, for a year and a half ago, that cost so dearly our children's psyche and education. We shouldn't be closing businesses because this economy is in huge trouble. I think what we should be doing 
is ramping up testing so that tests are available, available, because you and I have talked about this, not mandatory testing, but testing availability. And then the monoclonal antibodies and then the new Pfizer drug, which you want to know how, how really to exit this pandemic. You take a home test that the government supplies you. Can you believe it? Free from the government arriving at your door. You take a rapid test. If you're positive, you take the new pill from Pfizer. That pill will make this a cold, a cold-like thing. Even if you're not vaccinated, if you are vaccinated or if you're not, this pill will make a huge difference. That is the way to go. And then four or five days later, you go back to work. So the NFL's their policy. We talked about this last night. The NFL has a policy where if you are asymptomatic and double vaxxed, or fully vaxxed, if it's Johnson Johnson, whatever, if you're fully vaxxed, they will not test you unless you feel you have symptoms. Is that something Dr. Siegel can get on board with as a policy of living with this virus? Because Dr. Redfield just said on our air he expects another variant through that will be even easier, easierly transmitted. Yeah, Dr. Redfield talked about that with me before, too, and I completely agree with him. These variants are what viruses do. They spit out mutations that give them a survival advantage so that they can be more easily transmissible. Look, this one's crowded out Delta. People keep asking me, is it going to crowd out Delta? It already crowded out Delta. And the next one will crowd, crowd out this one. And yes, Brian, answer your question. It's time for us to learn to live with the virus. I think that the NFL's policy is intriguing, and, I, and I'm on board with it because they're talking about people that are vaccinated, and they're talking about healthy people. I mean, you can't, you can't get in the NFL. I, I mean, arguably, you could have a pretty bad knee, but you can't get in the NFL without being healthy. And so I don't want to see this policy in nursing homes, but I'm all for having it in the NFL. I agree with it. And it's a really, really uh, pioneering way to get back to normal. I mean, we need our sports, by the way, for our psyche. As you know, you and I couldn't live without it. Well, yeah. What are they going to do to my Knicks? Oh, well, put it this way. You have 10 net. The Nets just postponed another game because these guys are testing positive. But you don't hear any of them getting sick. Once in a while, an athlete said I had trouble getting over it, but for the most part, they're asymptomatic or barely sick, but they got to stay away from the team for 10 days, and they can't even roster players, which means you can't field the team, which means you can't have fans, which means everything's postponed, and everyone from the concessionaires on down. This ripple effect that we're not locking down, but you are locking down under the current guidelines. So, Dr. Siegel, is this crass? Correct. Correct. 2,000 people, on average, die from cancer a day. 1,600 plus die from heart disease a day. Because we're in the middle of a surge, somewhat, there's about 1,300, 1,000 to 1,300 people dying from the coronavirus a day. But we have not stopped living with people dying of cancer or heart disease. Why have we stopped living with this when there's such a high percentage chance of getting it, barely having any symptoms, and by by far, you know, for the most part, overwhelmingly, ninety nine percent chance of surviving it. Hey, Brian, you know something? It's even worse than you just said. You know why? You you framed that beautifully as always. But I want to add that heart disease is going up, and cancer is going up because we're ignoring it because of this pandemic and people being shut down and not exercising, they're not eating right, they're gaining weight, their blood pressure is going up, they're not getting preventive care for their heart. They're not getting cancer screening, so cancer is being diagnosed later. All of this is going to lead to more deaths, non-COVID deaths, not to mention the, the, the issue of suicides and, and related to traffic accidents. I mean, I like, my, I like to say you're much more likely to get into a traffic accident driving nervously away from a pharmacy where they don't have a rapid test. 
Here is Joe Biden on what we do with the American people. We have uh, here are the numbers that The New York Times has for us. Basically, 88 percent of those over 65 are fully vaccinated, 12 and up fully vaccinated, 71 percent. That to me is a great number. It's not everybody, but it's a great number. Not to the president. Listen to what he said in his reasoning for it. Tell me as a doctor who has to deal with patients one-on-one, if you get on board with this, cut for Last week, the federal court reinstated my administration's vaccination or test. The vaccination or test rule for businesses with more than 100 employees. I know vaccination requirements are unpopular for many. Not even popular for those who are anxious to get them. My administration has put them in place not to control your life, but to save your life and the lives of others. The rule is legal and effective. It's going to save thousands of American lives. So you, every day people come in your office and you know you tell them what they should do. And I'm wondering how many times you mandate them to they do it. And if the same thing as you extrapolate forward to the whole society, it works. Because the president feels as though he can make people do something. That's so well put. I can't make people stop smoking. I can't make people stop drinking. All I can do is talk to them, figure out what the reasons behind something are, which is what the president's not doing. And here's the elephant in the room, Brian. If you vaccinated uh, against Omicron, but you were vaccinated months ago, it, it's, it's only got a minor effect. You need to be boosted for it to have a major effect. And he's not talking about the elephant in the room, which is that he's, he's not been able to convince half of the people who are, who are uh, entitled to a booster now, who are, who are eligible, are not getting it. So what does that mean? He uses the word vaccinate like it's an all or none thing, but boosted is what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the category of people who need a booster to bring back the effect of the vaccine and aren't having it. And they're not taking it because they're being scolded and talked down to and bullied and shamed. And that's a shame in and of itself. Where's the vaccine in the doctor's office? I've been asking for a vaccine in my office for six months now. And they, and Dr. Kessler, who's his chief science advisor, takes that very seriously, but it hasn't arrived. I can have a conversation with someone about whether they should have a booster or not if I have the booster ready to give. So if I'm unvaccinated, I am vaccinated, but in theory, if I'm unvaccinated and Dr. Siegel, you're vaccinated and boosted, am I putting your life in danger? No, and that's another thing that's been, the rhetoric's been terrible on that. No, if I'm fully protected, I'm fully protected. If I had a recent booster, the chances of me getting COVID from you being not fully vaccinated is extremely low. And if I were to get it, it would be a minor case. So the idea of treating people like lepers is part of what's really wrong with this approach. It doesn't work. And then people dig in. You heard that term, President Biden. People dig in when they feel that they're being attacked. And that's he did that again yesterday. By the way, Brian, I was very happy to hear him finally give a nod to President Trump. And even President Trump was happy to hear that as well. But it didn't go far enough because actually the model that the Trump administration built for Operation Warp Speed is exactly what we're lacking now. A public-private partnership where everything is paid for in advance, where the government backs companies to make massive a quantity of needed drugs, tests, and vaccines. Uh, Dr. Siegel, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Uh, stay safe. Uh, and we'll look forward to continuing to get your input to dispel a lot of these theories and myths that are out there and the politicians who think they're experts. 
when we should be going to doctors. I did not know until recently that you were not doctors, pediatricians, uh, were not given these shots to give to their patients. So that seven-year-old that is comfortable finally with their doctor has to go to a clinic to get vaccinated, can't go to their doctor? I mean, that's an enormous problem because it's not that the doctor bullies you. The doctor says, how do you feel about this? As you just said, you go to an area where you're comfortable. You go to an office you're used to going. You go to a place where you got your other shots. And then your parents are there and they talk to the doctor, too. And the doctor will say, look, I gave it to my own five-year-old. Now, you know, not the president who's not having a real inability to reach people and keeps doubling down on, you know, this idea of risk and you're putting severe risk. You're at a, And Jen Psaki, same thing, press secretary. I mean, it's it's not medical. And then they say, by the way, Brian, of course, oh, we didn't know about this thing. We don't know. This came out of nowhere. Well, we all, all scientists knew that this was going to happen. He is uh, Dr. Mark Siegel. Thanks so much, Dr. Siegel. We'll see you on television. Brian, I hope we go to a Nick game, by the way. It would be my pleasure if, if, if they stay open. Well, one of us has tickets, has season tickets, and one of us <laughs> does it. It's really up to you, Dr. Siegel. I hate to tell you. Okay. okay I'm, I'm you open. have to invite me. I can't force myself okay. on you. Okay, um, you're, you get to the next game if we have one. You're there. I'm yeah, enough of Hammer. I'm tired of hearing the Hammer went to the Nick game stories. I want to hear Brian Kilmeade went to the Nick game. Okay, please. Okay, but you're buying the beer. You got it. Back in a moment. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade Show. This is uh, closing out this hour, but I want to urge you to watch me tonight at 7. And also, a couple of days left to Christmas shop. If you want a book that I know won't disappoint, Brian, just go to uh, The President of Freedom Fighter. And uh, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and the Battle of Save America's Soul. We dive into race, talk about the evils of slavery, and two great American men who made this country uh, the place it is today. So let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Well, blame the virus or China. I'm not sure, but the NHL says they will not allow their players to play in the Winter Olympics in Beijing. That's devastating because they were allowing to do it. It became a true world championship. Then a few players can do it. Now they are out. If you have a team, you know, there's the NHL is a world league. If you have a team, Russian, if you're Czechoslovakian or Czech Republic or Slovakian or, or uh, you know, you're a Canadian, if you play in the NHL, you can't go. That is huge. Hockey was one of the great attractions. So do you believe that's due to the COVID outbreak? Well, put it this way. I'd love the NHL to show some courage and say, yeah, well, we're not playing. Like the WTA said, I know what you did to our guys. We're not playing. Next, shopping in stores in the final Saturday before Christmas, down 26% pre-pandemic. It's because of the panic. The politicians put forward that this virus is doing. It's a challenge. I don't know why we're making that such a big deal. Uh, I, I think that we are just torturing small business. They say, though, also due to a lack of foreign tourists. However, year over year, store traffic has jumped up 19.4%, uh, which is no surprise. Because last year we were doing nothing. Exactly. Next. Surprise, surprise. Jersey Shore town beats Florida locales in the Zillow retirement hotspot. Hot spot. By the way, I don't know why Zillow is having trouble. Uh, they, why, why haven't they turned a profit? It's, it's the most Everyone visited site. There. Yeah. Uh, warm weather. No state income tax. Palm free. Uh, 
Conference beaches and condos have made Florida the quintessential U.S. retirement destination. But a little Jersey Shore town seems to be taking over. Lavalette, Lavalette. the Garden State borough where the typical home is $874,000. you know anything about it? I know. My mom's a school nurse in Lavalette, actually. And? Um, it's a really cute little town, and it's its own little town because down the shore, a lot of towns go to bigger townships, so you pay a lot more in taxes. So the taxes are reasonable for New Jersey. Right, but why would you want to have winter when you're old if you don't need it? I'm also guessing a lot of the people who might be retiring there still go to Florida maybe for six weeks. Oh, I didn't think about that. You want to give up some next. You want to give up your clothes, but you want to make sure it goes to people in need? Well, there's fake clothing bins popping up all over Long Island, New York, where you put your money in, they take your clothes, and they resell it. Joseph Saladino, the town of Bay supervisor, saying, look out. Make sure there's a certificate there, some type of identification. So if you just see a big vat, don't stick in your tank top and think it's going to go to some poor person in a shelter or Africa. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.